my name is Eric, and I welcome you to our Black Gay Diaspora podcast, where we, as LGBTQ plus citizens, come together to inspire and educate each other on who we are and our respective countries and professions. Through topics and guest interviews, our Black Gay Diaspora podcast celebrates individuals making a difference. Loving who we love is not a choice. Being who we're meant to be can be. We are here. You are welcome. We are community. Hi, my name is Eric, your host of Our Black Gay Diaspora podcast. Welcome to another episode. Today, I am joined by Paolo Saka. Paolo joins me from Stockholm, Sweden. Paolo works for Spotify as a senior content programming manager, and he's a writer for Cruel Magazine, a, quote, creative digital platform and the preeminent lifestyle publication for Black culture in Stockholm, Sweden, end quote. Founded by its creative director, Andrea Davis Kronlin. I know that's a Swedish name. I should have asked about that too, <laughs> even though I do know her. <laughs> I've heard through the grapevine that Paolo is a dynamic and engaging individual. So I look forward to learning more about Paolo, who he is as a Black gay professional in Stockholm, Sweden. Hey, Paolo, and welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. <laughs> You're all right. <laughs> I think it's always good to just do a little bit of a vibe check with people. Just see a like, vibe oh, check. Okay. I like yeah. that. Well, how's your vibe check? Right now, I'm feeling very calm and chill. I'm looking forward to the day. The sun is out, which it doesn't happen that often, to be honest, in Stockholm. But it, the sun is out, which is good because Pronosis was saying it's going to be raining a lot. So I'm very excited to just be back at home and just like talk to you as well. Home is Stockholm. Is that where you were born and raised? Yes, it is. My parents are from Uganda. Uh, they actually met in Italy, which is another longer story. But they moved from Italy to Sweden with my siblings back in the 80s. And then I was born here. So I have my roots here. And the follow-up question people usually ask me is why I have somewhat of an American accent, I usually always blame Fresh Prince. <laughs> Will, that damn Will Smith. <laughs> well, it's funny you say that, uh, three things that you brought up, but the accent. I first came to Sweden in 2015, and that really surprised me. I don't think I was fully aware that most Swedes are bilingual, speaking English, but what surprised me more is that many of you have an American accent or to my ear, a very American accent. Like if I ran across you randomly somewhere in the States, I would initially think you were American. But then as you keep talking, it's like, okay, there's something else that's coloring it. So exactly. why is that? So I always say that my first love in life has always been storytelling. I used to read a lot of books, a lot of books when I was younger. And I also used to watch a lot of film and television because that was kind of my escape route. So I would say that growing up and consuming all that content, I was very mesmerized by American culture specifically because, fun fact, a lot of the, the television shows from the U.S., the black shows specifically, were cheap to buy for the Swedish television. So that's why they aired them quite often in the afternoon here in Sweden. So I grew up looking at people that looked like me that kind of had the same similar interests as I had because most of my cousins and stuff like that, they kind of liked traditional more European and Swedish stuff but then I was more kind of a, an American guy that was submerged in the culture and loved like hip-hop and pop culture and all that stuff so I was kind of in it. 
Yeah, and then the Uganda reference, that's actually how I came to Sweden. I came to Stockholm the first time through a work colleague who was actually a neighbor in LA who was from Sweden, but also was Ugandan and Italian lineage. So it's very interesting, that connection. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. Ugandan and Italian. That is super cool. Um, yeah. I mean, I I feel so lucky and privileged for the fact that I got to, growing up, I got to spend a lot of time with my Ugandan family. So I went to Uganda basically once a year. I even lived there for like six months when I was younger. And I was super annoyed with my parents that forced me to speak Uganda, which is the language in Uganda, one of the languages in Uganda is called Luganda. And my parents forced me to to learn it and speak it only at home and also have perfect grades in Swedish outside of school. I can now say that I'm grateful for them doing that. I feel like there's still a better approach to making me enjoy it, but I do appreciate the sentiment and I do appreciate it now. So I'm trilingual, actually. I speak both English, Swedish and Luganda. Well, me coming from the States and speaking English, a little bit of Swedish, a bit more Spanish. I mean, of course, I don't have your experience, but I always think it's cool when families encourage their offspring to retain their languages because so many languages do get lost throughout history. So for me, it's like good on your parents. <laughs> yeah. They did good. They did good. We're at the beginning of the week. We're actually on Tuesday recording. How's your week going so far? It's going well. So as I mentioned earlier, it's Pride Week this week in Stockholm. Um, I just got back from Amsterdam. I was on vacation. I'm actually on vacation, but just got back from a little trip with my best friend. We were at a queer festival called Milkshake. I was also at basically a black party, but everyday people have had their first party in Amsterdam as well. So I was also there. So I kind of got to experience both of my identities per se. One thing that did reflect upon was the fact that I couldn't really explore them both at the same time as I would like to, but it was all right. You mean this is in Amsterdam, you weren't able to explore both the black and the gay identities? Just to start reflecting upon the fact that I'm somewhat always made somewhat how to choose, and I don't necessarily always like that. I'm always black and, black and queer, but I'm trying to figure out like where would be the setting or the festival or the party or celebration of that specifically. The closest I got to that was this year, at least, was basically when I saw Beyonce at the Renaissance opening tour. That felt very black and queer. I uh, was in Sweden when she opened her tour in Stockholm, and I saw your post when you were enjoying yourself when she was performing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. So how was that experience for you? Okay, I am just going to put out that I'm coming out as a full member of the Beehive. <laughs> it was honestly um, transcendent. It kind of inspired me and on the trajectory I'm right on right now. Seeing her perform all these songs and using these Black queer voices... I don't know why I was surprised, but I was still surprised. I don't know why I was surprised, but I was still surprised of how queer the album was and all the references. And I I can nerd out of sometimes and I have like a lot of just information in my head. And, and I was I was honestly taken aback when I first heard the album and I had it on repeat since it was released basically. I remember getting to the arena and just 
being grateful for what was about to happen, but then I actually got to see her. And for the first time in a long time, I just felt very seen and free, just liberated. And I could celebrate being black and I could celebrate being queer and I could shake my ass and I could talk about religious stuff. Even, I mean, I love church girl because I used to be the church boy. I used to go to church and sing in the choir and being all that stuff. And just celebrating all those parts of me that have shaped who I am today, it was amazing. And that set me off on trajectory where I'm right now feeling very in love with the life I'm living right now. I listened to that album. I was like, this is speaking our language. And not just gay, but black, queer. Some of the stuff I can't even put into words the production and everything that she did with it. I think you have to be fully black and gay to really get it. I just feel like it, it was so surprising. It wasn't that surprising, but it was just surprising that she went so hard in. And then when I saw all the queer dancers pointed his stories basically to celebrate. We've been locked up. We've been through a pandemic. We've been through Black Lives Matter and we're still going through it. We're also going through it. But all that happened with uprisings. We need to just like have fun and to be able to celebrate all that we are. I felt so moved and so seen. And I realized that I rarely feel that seen these days in that sense, like for my full identity, for all that I am. And I especially love that a lot of people are introduced to this as well. And kind of like, oh shit, this exists. I'm like, yes, welcome. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if we could backtrack a little in time, because you mentioned Black Lives Matter, and I was, because of the pandemic, I was in Stockholm for a period of nine months at one time. I was there when that public murder happened in the United States. That event, which, you know, of course, affected us all globally, I was in Stockholm. And I just by chance was out when the march happened. And that really opened my eyes to what a lot of people of color experience in Sweden and Europe in general with, you know, as we know, racism and prejudices and discrimination. How was that for you, that experience, that happening in your home country? I've never had any illusions of what country I live in and how horrible people can be, honestly. I wasn't surprised when people started reacting. I wasn't even surprised by the backlash. I remember looking around me and, and people wanting to ask me questions like, how are you doing? And, and trying to figure out like how to be a good ally. I did try to educate because I realized it was an opportunity to get people to understand and to do something real. But I also had been here long enough to see that Stuff like this tend to happen, and then people sell it in and kind of, well, not forget, but they kind of do stuff like in the, in the moment, and then they kind of leave it. It's 2023, I'm just looking at a bunch of companies and all the people that promised to X, Y, and Z back in 2020 and 2021. Nothing's happening in most cases. In most, some cases, they're just like, oh, we can shift the strategy because now we're also in an economic downturn. It's not really good for the brand to focus on diversity issues. You can just focus on the money makers instead which I get from a, from a capitalist standpoint, but it's just like, and that's what I kind of expected was going to happen and that happened. What really made me mostly sad was having 
my elders being under so much pressure and scrutiny to educate and be like the perfect model person for the masses. And I don't feel like everyone felt equipped to do that, or I don't feel like everyone should have been asked to do that either, because there's a lot of pressure to hand to people, especially people dealing with fresh trauma and just now understanding their place in the world, understanding that they could have been the same person, that they, they could have been them. Thank you for that. One thing I have always appreciated about being Black and queer is the fact that it's allowed me to see so many different walks of life and interact with so many different types of people. I can empathize a lot better with a lot of people and just understand where they come from. I don't necessarily agree with, I don't agree with most people, but I understand where they're coming from. We should talk about this because it's a global problem, not just a problem that affects uh, the Americans. Even when we released uh, the Afrophobia report that says like black people that are more educated are still going to get less paid than the white counterparts that have less education and all that stuff. When I read the report, I wasn't shocked. I was just shocked how many people didn't realize that was actually an actual thing. And But I did use that as an argument because I was kind of like, people need to understand that I will probably most days work twice as hard as my counterpart, but I will still get paid less. And it's not because anyone is directly thinking about it that way. There's many reasons. Usually they have many explanations for that. But when it comes down to it, when you look at it, it is a noticeable trend. So you work at Spotify. I mentioned that in the intro. Can you explain what your role is? Yes. Um, my official title is Senior Content Programming Manager. But philosophically, I work with helping the right content to be delivered to the right user at the right time. But I also have like the internal titles of Podcast Editor, Audio Development Manager. I have a lot of different titles. But I work with R&D teams to help them develop the podcast experience on the app. And I also work with content in a way that I analyze user behavior and data to help form decision about original content, but also help other creators, mid-set creators to develop their own podcasts because I listen to all the podcasts in my market. And I also figure out like what podcast suits which type of user and why they like those podcasts. So I usually tell people, I feel like I can say that with confidence that I'm the person who listens to most podcasts in Scandinavia and most different languages and also has the most data insights living in my head just based on i'm very curious at by nature and i like doing that kind of stuff and that's why i call myself also sometimes a podcast expert because i listen to all of it <laughs> oh i'm nervous now <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't be you're doing fine sweating bullets <laughs> <laughs> oh wow yeah. So you say you, you're over podcasts in both Swedish and English. Yeah. Okay. I also have a background. I worked with a Danish PR firm and I also read a bunch of Norwegian because I was had a Lord of the Ring phase where I wanted to learn like Norwegian and Icelandic because a lot of the elven languages are based on that. Well, I also mentioned that you are a writer and that we both share a commonality in that we both have written for Cruel Magazine. Yeah. And I read your article about Afropunk, which I was a little envious because I've, I've yet to go. But it was a really uh, relatable article to me. And I just want to read here something that you wrote down that I related to is that you said that by being Black means that you learn a lot about compromise at an early age. Mm. Can you explain? I feel like just by nature, we are um, in most Western countries a minority. 
from American culture, black people have been enslaved. But one thing that you always learn is that, especially as a black man, you're always looked on as a sexual dangerous being. And I really realized that, especially when I looked at my white friends. Actually, the first time I realized that was when I went, I think it was African. Yeah, this African, when I first time I went to was the first time I experienced being in a public place with a bunch of black people. I felt for the first time in forever just a sense of calm. And I never realized until then that I am always on edge. You kind of carry this weight, invisible weight, that you don't even realize that you're carrying. And being a Black person, I feel like you always have to compromise because you need to make a choice between, am I going to be fooling myself today? Because being your full full self does come with consequences because we aren't allowed the same grace. No, I agree. I described it once to someone. It's like, you walk into your local cafe and, you know, my peripheral notices that this table just stared at me and they're still staring at me. For me, especially, we touched on the Black Lives Matter movement. And one of the things that I've appreciated from younger people is that they're saying that racism is trauma. And I never voiced it that way because it's something that we deal with in various ways several times a day sometimes in our daily living. I think it's also fascinating because even when it, when you are the group of people of color that are congregated, you always get stared down as if people are kind of just... I feel like there's a fear of afraid of what's going to happen. I'm kind of like, do you expect just like someone to take over? Is that an actual... And I think it's actually an actual fear because I do read a lot of like what I like to call Svati Evender, basically Swedish, Swedish friends that kind of want to defend the Swedish nationalism. And they always kind of complain that people of color are stealing their jobs or that we are supposedly lazy that I feel like that kind of feeling is more pervasive than people assume it to be because most of my friends are people of color. I notice that people are watching us. They're watching us even though we are usually a group of like maybe five, six people. We might get laugh a little bit, might be loud in laughter, but even when we just calmly just say nothing, People stare. I don't think they have a conscious thing about it, but I think do think that it's this instinctive fear that at some point we're going to take over. That is a part of European history, European colonialism, is they, these countries go to these other parts of the world and invade and take over. Yeah. So, you know, it's like that fear, I guess, of someone's going to do that to us, especially the people that we overtook. <laughs> yep, 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 yeah. yep. You're aware of being watched, but when I've tried to explain that to non-Black people, you know, they don't say it, but my perception is you're being paranoid. But I agree with you. Like, I remember it was a cafe, and I literally saw two tables. I was the only Black person in there just followed the whole time. But I was also conscious, too, that my friends were completely oblivious to it. Yeah. That's the thing. I think as a Black person, you grow up also kind of hyper-aware of when people are watching you. You kind of know when people are watching it. And I used to think that was paranoid. It's just in my head. It's just in my head. Because, again, I grew up in Sweden. I was taught when I was younger that seeing race is a bad thing. Or even acknowledging the fact that people are treating me differently because of my blackness was also deemed racist because they don't see color. Why am I being racist and talking about color? I also had to deprogram myself from that. I'm not being paranoid. And I even, at some point, just like started looking back at people be like, do you want something? And they're like, no, 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 just... Got to suck on you, just started watching. Sorry, I didn't think about it, just my face. I'm kind of like, sure, okay. 
And <laughs> the more I started doing a little bit more of that, the more I realized that it's not all in my head and I'm trusting more of my gut. Here we are. You know, we all go through that, I think, in our own ways. I forgot to mention the name. Cruel Magazine is K-R-U-L-L. And I want to make sure that people do read your article. It's called Afropunk, period, confidence, period, pride, period, love. And you also mentioned the fashion that goes on at Afropunk. You wrote in there about that and you shared your experiences with that. But I wanted to ask you, how was it for you seeing Black people who showcase the more alternative ways that we can express ourselves and in, in how we look? I loved it so much. It opened up so much for me in the sense of like, I started to visualize an Afrofuturistic future where myself and I could express myself much more creatively and be like more free in my own body and my own space. I believe that having those expressions visible and seeing them up close and personal inspires fantasy and allows you to dream dream bigger, dream wider. Because I feel like being Black is the best thing ever. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, to be honest. It also comes with some drawbacks that you're not allowed to be as creative as you'd like to. You have to always play it safe in a lot of instances to just make sure that you're able to survive. Some of us do get to climb out of those boxes and do fun, creative, cool stuff. And I think that is an inspiration that we need to keep on showing younger generations. I have 12 nieces and nephews. The youngest are like four months old. The oldest are turning 13. And I never realized until a couple of years ago how important it is for me to fully embrace who I am in order for them to have something to aspire to. Like just the other day, one of my nieces was kind of like, oh, I love watching you perform, Uncle Paolo, because you have so many fun clothes and outfits, and I would like to use some of those colors. And I was kind of realized when I was thinking about it, like, who was my inspiration when I was younger? I remember Michael Jackson being a thing. I remember just watching all these incredible artists, Tina Turner, Prince, the fashions. It was such an amazing thing. And it allowed me to dream and think bigger and allowed me to be creative and do creative stuff. I was determined to become a journalist and working with communications. I thought that was so much, much more fun for me to have the storytelling aspect. Thankfully, I managed to make that into an actual career and make sure that I could pay my bills and all that stuff. But if I hadn't been inspired and then be allowed to dream, and I think that's what Acropunk and all this stuff does, it allows you to dream bigger, to think creatively, to allow yourself the space to just go after your passions, wants, and needs. I think fashion can be aspirational, but I can also think it's very inspirational to give you the sense that there's more out there, that you don't have to be defined by what you're wearing. It can also be an expression of who you are. Watching the fashion that Afropunk had people have their hair color be purple, red, yellow, all that stuff, having their nose rings, dressing up in the African tribal clothing sometimes, sometimes working at this latest futuristic stuff. I find that to be so inspiring. I love it so much. And that's why I love Afropunk, because it's inspirational as well. Was there any openly queer representation there? Yeah, it was a lot of, uh, specifically with the artists that were there, some of the booths that were there, I remember as well. And a lot of people that you were seeing were definitely out loud and very queer bringing up your niece you never know who's watching 
I used to think that what I did didn't really matter, that I'm mostly in service of others, trying to make sure that others are doing their thing and growing and doing their thing. One of the things I also realized is that my life and my visibility is also important because it helps inspire the next generation to dream bigger, do bigger things, and hopefully will move the world into a direction that is peaceful for everyone. I want to mention the name of the other article for Krull. How do you say it? Krull. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> now that did sound Swedish. <laughs> but your other article was She's Got This. And in that one, you write that it was through TV that I found my salvation and would help me shape my identity as a black man. And you've, you've touched on that, you know, before. For you, how were you when you became aware that you were black in the context of general society in Sweden? I think the first time I realized that I was black in the context of Sweden was probably when I was in first grade and my white teacher used the N-word and everyone looked okay. at me to see, see my reaction. She was talking about Martin Luther King for some reason and then started to, started to say that he's the, he's the N-word. Oh, wow. Yeah, because they're still trying to undramatize that. And then also, you have to remember, this was in the 90s. We, at that time, again, had openly Nazi parties on their way into government. So it was before the Swedish Democrats entered the arena. It was a harsher climate. But I remember then that I was made aware that I'm something else than others. Obviously, I knew because my skin was black. The food I was eating was not a traditional Swedish food always. It was kind of African. People usually commented on the fact that I always smelled like cocoa butter because I always eat cocoa buttercream. That's why our skin looks amazing. I said, tell them. <laughs> our skin looks amazing. That's what I'm always saying. I'm like, listen, I, you can hear a cock about it, but I still look good. No, <laughs> no, but it was my first awakening. But then I was made aware. So I went from going to a choir in, in church choir where I was the only black kid and they realized that I could give them a show because I'm a born entertainer. I can sound like the American people that watch on TV, that I can be sassy and do all the gossiping thing. Mm. So that was the second time I was made aware of it. And then I will say the third time I was made aware, you kind of forget that you are other. You're always reminded. I'm relating. <laughs> Black Americans were still a minority in the United States. I don't even think we go beyond 13% of the society. So there's so many things that I can relate to that still very much happen in the U.S. and definitely in my formative years. So uh, thank you for sharing that. When you were growing up in Sweden, as far as entertainment or television or media, were there Black performers or actors that were Swedish that were on television? I remember... Keo. I remember the politician Alice Bakunke, who was the television host. Kayo is the, is the one is one that that I remember most specifically. But most because she was like a dark skinned black woman. Then when she formed Aphrodite, we didn't have that many, and most of the people that you would see on screen were either probably mixed. Okay, you also mentioned in that article Doreen. Who is Doreen? Uh, Doreen is my baby cousin. She's an actress, she's a singer. She has directed a bunch of stuff. She is brilliant at a lot of stuff she does. We used to sing in the same choir, gospel choir in Sweden, which is called Tiensa Gospel Choir. I remember she reminded me of Aunt Viv, and I wanted to, because we were singing at 
uh, Allsson på Skansen which is like uh, this sort of uh, review show where everyone gets to you have a bunch of artists come up on stage in, in a huge park and Doreen was, was tasked with singing this solo song being the lead and we were supposed to back her up and she was a little bit nervous before that but then I remember watching her go on the stage because as many I feel like especially black women know sometimes you don't have a choice you just gotta do what you gotta do and make it work and I saw her do that and I just flashed back to watching Anne Viv with that confidence because that scene for me was the first time that I can remember that I felt like empowered being black but I always see so many other black women that I know has such grace such love such humility and strength in through like the harshest shit I'm always amazed and when I saw Doreen do that I remember writing I was just reminded of all these black women before her fictional and non-fictional in my life the women I've heard about stories my great-grandmother and all that I was kind of like ah I was just felt so much love and that's why I wrote this article and you've given another two great examples of you never know who's watching you who's absorbing what you're putting out there yeah and these are two people that, you know, of course, influenced you in a positive way. Yeah. Have you written for other publications? Yes. There's a lot of articles about me that I've written. I also do voice work. I've also acted a little bit. I've also sung a lot. I've also photographed a lot. I've done a lot of different things. So I'm a little bit everywhere. Speaking of photography, I, I did see that you were, are, were with Asferios Radio. Mm-hmm. Was that where you also did voiceover work, any type of presenting? Both yes and no. Spanish uh, Audio was specifically my job there was as a digital editor, I think my title was. But I worked basically for the biggest morning show that we had, and then also a PFI documentary with the social media specifically. And then sometimes I help other productions do other different stuff. And I worked as a journalist as well. Voiceover work was actually uh, more when I was younger for the Harry Potter movies. So I, <laughs> funny. Oh, enough. wow. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> I did all the black boys voices. Um, and I say that because I kept getting casted as more black boys. By my fourth role, I was kind of like, I'm noticing a pattern here now. And I'm not sure if you think that I sound black, what is going on here. I appreciate the work regardless, but it was just a, a noticeable trend. And I just sometimes do it for productions now as well. So it's kind of, it does happen that you can hear my voice in random productions. I did come across Spotify's SoundUp program, which was started in 2018. Can you share what that is? Yeah, it's a program to help underrepresented voices break into the podcasting space specifically. We've had it in several markets and then different cohorts in different markets. I think we started 2018 in the U.S. with black women. For Sweden specifically, we first had uh, women and non-binary people of color. In the second year, we had LGBTQIA plus people. Oh my God, the acronym is so long. <laughs> and then uh, we've had women of color in other areas. We've had a bunch of different crossovers in different markets. So we helped them with the tooling, helped them with, with a bunch of classes. They got to go in, into the immersive program. And then when they come out, they have a fully realized podcast. Now, is this something that they're sponsored exclusively by Spotify? Yeah. So do you have your own podcast or have you thought about that? I have gotten the offer several times. I have thought about it. I do know what I would do as a podcast, but 
because of my job, I, I do feel like it, it would be a weird and unfair advantage to work within podcasting while also having a podcast where I uh, speak about different stuff. So I try to stay away from having my own podcast, but I can definitely talk about myself in podcasts. That's good that you're an ethical person. Yeah, I try to. I try to be. <laughs> yeah. You know, of course, we've shared a bit about being Black in Sweden and just in general. But for yourself as a gay man, when did you become aware of that part of yourself? I would say I probably always knew, but I, I couldn't put my finger on it. And even when people kept trying to subtly coax me out of the closet and call me gay and all that stuff, I couldn't really relate to that because I was looking at boys and I felt nothing. And it wasn't until I turned 16 that I fell in love with a guy in my class, this nerdy little Kurdish boy that I, he loved Dungeons and Dragons. So I explored a lot for a couple of years. And then I settled into my ever-evolving identity. I actually use the word queer about myself most of the times because I see sexuality for me is more of a spectrum. I wouldn't necessarily say that I am completely gay, but I was made aware of it when I was 16. And then I came out mostly publicly couple of years ago where I am very open and transparent about talking about it. Is it okay to ask how's your relationship with your network, like your family today? I have my siblings. I hang out with them a lot and my niece and nephews. So it's very, very good. I'm lucky that way. What would you say life is like for you as a black gay man in Stockholm? Dating wise? Yeah. Yes. Um, the all important question, I the guess. The all important question. <laughs> no, but dating wise, it's been it's been challenging because of the fact that I would say a lot of the guys that I meet tend to just assume that the only thing that I'm good for is sex. I've heard this a lot as well. That I'm apparently a little bit intimidating and too too cool for them. Basically, I'm being punished because I'm also successful and outspoken. And because I'm not thirsting or in going after guys being very like, oh, please pick me. I tend to not be seen as desirable or be invisible or be highly sexualized. I, never be, I can never just be myself and just like be accepted for who I am. I am a fully actualized human being. So, you know, I have a bunch of different sides to me. I mean, if you want to come here for Pride Week, People are going to be here just, can I say fuck? People are going to be here. To, no, yeah, of course. Yeah. People are going to be here to fuck around a lot. Even now, I just uh, just saw that people are paying me on, on my Tinder profile, which is interesting. Um, because it's pride. Because it's pride. So a lot of people, foreigners are here. Okay. And Our foreigners. Okay. Yeah. So that's going to be fun. But in general, I don't see like finding my soulmates here in Sweden. You never know. It might happen. I am a romantic at heart, so I choose to be optimistic in this sense and believe that maybe something good is out there. I just haven't seen it yet. Is there like a network, not necessarily with dating, but if that's part of it too, of Black queer men in Sweden or in Stockholm? I would say yes and no. The problem that I see is that when it comes to at least the Black queer men, we are very, very few of us that are actually out. I know a lot of people that are queer and Black, 
but they're not publicly out or are afraid to come out for various reasons, mostly related to families. So it does become a little bit trickier, at least as a, a man of color, to form like networks with people. But I would say that um, I do love the community that does exist and the people that I do know are fun and amazing. I've been lucky enough to engage with a lot of fun queer people and I have a lot of fun queer friends these days that are really elevating my life. I know you have traveled, but do you like to travel? Oh, I love to travel. My parents gave me also the spirit of adventure, so I tend to... When I travel, I tend to go for the story. I tend to want to explore and see the sights and experience new culture and food and meet new people and just engage with people. I find that to be very exciting. And traveling for me allows me to come away and then center myself and just come away with new perspectives and feel more like settled in myself where I realize like more what I want, my own needs and desires. I even went through church and got confirmed is that what he's saying no perfect was it catholic yeah i I was almost through the catholic one as well because i knew that the church allowed you to travel for free to a bunch of different cool places like italy and ski up in the north i hadn't thought of that i became catholic maybe two years before i came out as gay Mm -hmm. i think it was my last ditch effort but if i'd known about the travel i probably would have stuck it out i mean (laughs) I'll put the dress on. (laughs) Okay. Sorry for people who are Catholic. But anyway, I want to thank you so much for coming onto this platform and just ask if you have any final thoughts or insights. First of all, thank you for having me. But I would like to say my final insights is that I hope that people, regardless of how harsh it feels sometimes and how hard it can be to just be, I hope the people look to others, to look to this podcast, look to other platforms, to feel inspired and realize that, and it's a cliche, but we only really do have one life to live. And I wish that everyone could get to a point where they would fall in love with the life that they have or work towards the life they want to live. Because I think that being able to love what you do have and the people that you have around you is the best thing ever. And that can also push you to grow even further and go further than you expect. Like, I'm so grateful for the people that I have around me that have allowed me to truly soar and to rediscover my love for life. And I hope people get to that and remember that regardless of how dark it feels right now, it's not always going to be feel this way. It's not always going to be this dark. Thank you for that. Uh, love the life you have. It's yeah. well said. Yeah. Yeah. Where can we engage with you online? You can find me on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Pule, P-U-L-L-E. Slide into my DMs. I love when people slide into my DMs. So slide in. Thank you for spending time with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, comment, and subscribe. Share with your friends, too. You can also follow us on Instagram at Our Black Gay Diaspora and on Twitter at BLK Gay Diaspora. Until next time.